This is Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I'm James Whittington, and I'm here to help you master your money. Whether you're a complete beginner or have been around the block once or twice, now is the time to start your journey and take control of your finances. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Penny Radio. I'm here to help you learn how to master your money and finally take control of your financial future. Now last week we looked at interest and it's a really important topic when it comes to personal finance and managing our money. How did you find it? We did go through it quite fast and you had the chance to follow the examples on pen and paper and look at the examples on the workbook after the show as well. How did you find it all? Was it easy enough to follow? please let me know so that when we do an episode like this again in the future, I can make it easy enough for everyone to understand and follow. You may be happy or not so happy to learn that this episode is also going to be about interest. We're going to look at it in a little bit more depth and how it works in reality and what it means to us in real life situations. Now you'll have to excuse me because I'm recording this episode in London, which anyone who's ever been to London or lived in London or whatever will know that there's no such thing as silence or anywhere quiet in the whole of the city. So you probably hear sirens and cars and all kinds in the background. So please just bear with me if it sounds a bit weird in the background. So what more is there to know about interest, you may be asking? Well, actually, quite a bit. But this episode, we're mostly going to be focused on what APR and AER are. Now, you've probably seen them written down before when you've applied for a loan or taken out a credit card or looked at a bank account or a savings account. You've probably seen them. So we're going to explain what they are to start off with, how they work, and then what they mean for you as well. And so then when you see them in the future, you'll know exactly what they are and how to deal with them. Now, I will be going through some examples, but don't worry about having a pen and paper and a calculator. If you just listen to them, I'm going to put them in an Excel workbook again and put them in the show notes after the show. So you can just go to pennyradio.co.uk and find the show notes there. Okay, so we've talked about interest. We've talked about bank accounts in another episode as well. And you know that there are a number of different bank accounts out there with different features that you can choose from. And you know that you have to pick one that meets your needs. Well, okay, so say you found, I don't know, three or four bank accounts that have all got similar features and similar terms and conditions that all meet your needs for what you want. And all that differentiates them is the interest rate. So how do you go about picking the one that you're going to use? You may think that it's just a case of picking the one with the highest interest rate, right? Well, unfortunately, this isn't always the case. So let's look at why. You'll usually find that marketing materials with different saving accounts often quote both a gross interest rate and what is known as the annual equivalent rate, or AER. Now you'll find the AER or annual equivalent rate on your jargon buster, which you can find at pennyradio.co.uk forward slash resources. So you might want to download that and have a look at that as well while we're going through this. But anyway, that's what AER stands for, annual equivalent rate. Now on the marketing material, you'll usually find that the gross rate doesn't include the effect of compounding, which we discussed before, or fees or any bonuses or anything like that. As well as this, banks can also calculate the interest on the savings accounts over different time periods as well. So they may calculate the interest on what's in your account on a daily basis, a monthly basis, every three months, which is quarterly, or every half a year, or even annually. And like I say, they calculate it on the average amount in your account during that time period, whichever one that they use. To simplify things, they usually calculate the average amount in your account by taking what you've got at the start of that time period what you've got at the end of that time period and using the amount that's halfway between the two of those. And traditionally, and if you've got an older bank account, this was usually always done quarterly or annually. But nowadays, on newer savings accounts and ones that you get online, it tends to be done daily or monthly. 
And that's good because that's more accurate and fair to both you and the bank. And so what they'll do is they'll take the gross interest rate for the whole year that they advertise and divide that by however many time periods that are using during the year. So if they're doing it on a daily basis, they'll divide that interest rate by 365 days. If it's done on a monthly basis, they'll divide it by 12 because there's 12 months in the year. If they do it on a quarterly basis, they'll divide it by four because there's four three-month periods throughout the year. If it's done on an annual basis, it will just be that gross interest rate without any dividing. So for example, if the gross interest rate on a savings account was 6%, it would mean that it would be 6% if calculated on an annual basis, 1.5% for each quarter if calculated quarterly because 6 divided by 4 quarters in the year is 1.5, or it would be 0.5% on a monthly basis because it's the 6% for the year divided by the 12 months in a year, that's 0.5% each month. And if it was done on a daily basis, it would be 0.016% per day, because that's 6% divided by the 365 days in a year. So what does this mean in reality? Well, so if you had £100 in your bank account for the whole year, and they just paid you the interest each year, even though they calculated it on a different time period, this would give you £6 interest no matter what basis it is calculated, if you kept the £100 in for the whole year. Well, but what if you take out £100 after a month and you've got nothing in there, then put £1,000 in the next month and it fluctuated you know, over the whole year between putting money in, taking money out. Sometimes you may have like £100,000 in there. Other times you may have nothing. But by the end of the year, you still ended up with £100. Well, if it's calculated on an annual basis, you'd still only get £6 interest because you had £100 at the beginning, £100 at the end, so on average, it would calculate that you've got £100 in there. So 6% of £100 is £6. So that's what you'd get paid if the bank calculated your interest on an annual basis. But what if it's calculated on a monthly basis? Some months, because you'd have zero in there, you'd get 0%. And other months, you could earn a lot more. Well, if you had £1,000 in there one month, well, as we said, on a 6% basis, if it's calculated monthly, that's 0.5% for the month. 0.5% of £1,000 is £5 interest for the month. So the previous month you got zero pounds interest, the next month you get five pounds interest. So as you can see, the more regularly the interest is calculated, the more accurate the interest is that you'll receive. So that's fairer for both you and the bank. If that doesn't really make sense, then check out the Excel workbook in the show notes after the show, because I'll put some examples in the workbook showing how you can earn different amounts of interest depending on how much is in your bank account at different times during the year and depending on which time period the bank uses to calculate the interest even if you start with and end up with the same amount of your bank account at the beginning and the end of the year and if that's not confusing enough on top of this the bank may actually calculate interest in one time period but pay on a different time period so they may calculate your interest on your savings on a monthly basis but only pay you interest on an annual basis so you'll get all the interest for those months just paid at the end of the year Another account, though, may calculate your interest on a monthly basis and then pay you on a monthly basis. Now, so what, you may ask? Well, we did look at compounding last week, so you should be thinking, ah, that does make a difference. Because, think about it, the account that pays you on a monthly basis would be a better option for you. So say, for example, at the beginning of the year, you get paid interest in January. Well, February, you're going to be earning interest on that interest. Whereas if you only paid interest at the end of the year, in December, you're not earning any interest until it's paid into your account. You're still only earning interest on what's in your account originally. But let's look at an example of how this works in reality. So say there's two accounts that both pay you 6% per year on a gross basis, and you've got £100 in each account. They're both calculated on a monthly basis, 
So we know that 6% divided by 12 months means that you earn 0.5% interest on the average amount in your account each month, but one pays you at the end of the year, and one pays you each month. So after the first month, you would have earned 0.5% interest in both accounts. So 0.5% of 100 pounds is 50 pence on both accounts. On the one paying annually, they just put it on your record that they owe you 50 pence for that month at the end of the year. They don't actually pay it into your account. On the one paying you monthly though, they put that 50p into your account. So on the one that pays you annually, you still have 100 pounds in your account. But on the one that pays you monthly, you'd have 100 pound 50p on your account going into the next month. So in month two, again, you learn 0.5% interest. Well, on the account that pays you annually, that's 0.5% on your £100, because that's all that's in your account. So they're going to chalk up another 50p against your name to pay you at the end of the year. And you're still going to carry £100 over into the next month. But on the monthly paying account, you're going to earn 0.5% interest on the £100 and 50p. So it doesn't sound like much, but that's going to be 50 and a quarter pence that you earn in month two. So slightly more, and that gets added to your account again. So you're going to be taking 101 pound and a quarter pence going into month three. We can already see that next month you're going to be earning interest on the 101 pound and a quarter pence in that account versus only earning interest on the 100 pound in the other account. So if you calculate this for the whole year, by the end of the year, you're going to receive your six pounds into your account that pays you monthly because you've earned 0.5% interest on your 100 pound each month for 12 months. So you've earned your 50p per month for 12 months. So 50p times 12 months is six pounds or the 6% gross interest rate as advertised. But on the monthly paying account, you will have 106 pounds 17p in your bank account. So you would have earned an extra 17 pence. And altogether, your total interest would have been 6.17% interest. So you can see that actually it's worth getting an account that pays you interest more regularly because you're benefiting from the compounding effect. So on a gross basis, the interest rate may be advertised at 6%, but in reality, it's actually more. Now, it may not sound like much, you know, only 17 pence for a whole year, but that's because it's only on an account of £100. Whereas if you had much bigger accounts or you're paying in thousands of pounds each month, it would be a bigger difference in pound terms. And why pick a savings account that actually pays you less? You may as well pick the one that pays you most. So that's why we have to look past the gross interest rate that's advertised in the marketing material and take account for what we know of how interest works. We know how compounding works, so we may as well make the most of it, make it work for us. And remember that compounding works much better on longer time periods. So again, we've only looked at it over one year. Well, if you're putting in a lot more money and over a much longer time period, it's gonna be worth a lot more to you if you get an account that pays interest to you more regularly. And if you can find a bank account that pays you daily, even better, because when you work it out, the interest goes up to 6.18% on an account that pays you daily. So in our example of a £100 account, over 10 years, the annually paying account will have increased to £179.08, whereas the monthly paying account will have increased to £181.94, and the daily paying account to £182.20. So again, if we apply that to much larger figures, you can see the impact that compounding has on it. Check out the Excel workbook in the show notes to see how these examples are calculated and you can change the numbers to suit your own situation. So going back to the two advertised rates of interest, gross and annual equivalent rate or AER. AER reflects this compounding within the year, so it makes it easier to compare savings accounts. On top of that, AER also takes into account any fees and other charges that the bank may charge you for the privilege of having the savings account. So AER helps you compare savings accounts with the same features so you can make a more informed decision. 
It also takes into account any bonuses that may be paid in the first year or future years as well. So the AER helps you compare savings accounts with the same features so you can make a more informed decision. So for example, are you tying up your money for too long? Do you need easier access and quicker? So you should always pick an account that meets your needs over an account that pays higher interest that doesn't meet your needs. Now one thing that we need to remember is that both AER and gross interest rates are calculated before tax, so we'll have to take this into account as well, but more on that later. The way that AER is calculated is that it basically gives you an average rate of interest per year for the amount of time that you're signing up for. So if you're signing up for a fixed rate savings account for say five years, the AER is the average rate that you'll get per year if you left your money in the account for the full five years. This may seem like an obvious thing, but actually what happens is that some bank accounts will pay a lower interest rate in the first few years, gradually increasing it so that the fourth and fifth year pay higher interest rates, because that encourages you to leave the money in for the full five years and you'll get penalised if you take it out sooner. So in other words, most of the interest that you'll earn isn't actually earned until the fourth and fifth years. So what you'll actually find is that the AER, maybe say, I don't know, 3%, but for the first three years, you'll actually earn less than 3%. And for the fourth and fifth year, you'll earn more than 3%. But on average, it will be 3% per year. And then the AER will give you that average amount that you'll earn over the whole period. So that's why it makes it easier to compare different accounts. Because try working it out for every single individual account. Because say you've got four or five accounts that you're comparing and they're all going to pay different rates of interest every single year. Well, it makes it much more confusing. Whereas if you know the AER, you know what you're going to get on average for each year. So it makes it easier to compare overall which account that you should go with. But you need to remember that when comparing the AERs of fixed rate savings accounts, that you're actually comparing accounts with the same investment time period. So don't be comparing a five-year one to a three-year one because of course it's going to be different, because you get more interest for the longer you leave your money in an account for, because you're taking on more risk, like we discussed in previous episodes. So you need to make sure that you're comparing like for like, and like I said, always look at accounts that meet your needs, because if you need your money in three years, don't be looking at savings accounts for five years. It's not going to meet your needs, just because it pays a higher interest rate. Whilst AER is the interest rate you should be interested in when it comes to savings, APR, or APRC nowadays, is the annual percentage rate of charge, and that's what you need to focus on when it comes to borrowing. It's basically the debt version of AER. APRC has to include fees and arrangement charges, so it will give you the true cost of borrowing money and will allow you to compare lenders when taking out a loan. So, I don't know, a lender may, for example, offer a loan with an interest rate of 10%, whilst another lender offers a loan with 12%, so you may think the one with 10% would be best. But then once fees are included, the APRC may take that 10% to 16%, whereas the 12% one increases to 14%. So it's actually the better option. Now, one of the regulators of the financial industry, which is the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA, actually makes lenders display the APRC so that consumers, or people like you and me, can actually make a proper informed decision. But you do need to be a little bit careful, though, because the APRC only includes compulsory charges. Some banks are a little bit pushy when it comes to payment protection insurance, or PPI as you probably know, and can include this price in the quotes. This insurance isn't compulsory and so it isn't included in the APRC, but you may end up still paying it if you're not careful, in which case the cost will actually be higher than what the APRC says. Also you need to know that just because a lender is advertising an APRC of, I don't know, say 10% or whatever, you might not actually get that for yourself because what you'll actually get will depend on your personal circumstances and your credit score. 
And we discussed credit score in a previous episode. And hopefully you went away and found out what your credit score was. And if it's bad, you're working to improve it. Because the better your credit score, the lower the APRC or the lower the interest rate that you'll actually be charged is. So whilst a lender may advertise an APRC of 10%, you may have to pay 12% or 14% because your credit score isn't as good as what you need to get that advertised rate. Also, just like the AER on a fixed term savings account of a number of years, the APRC on a loan over a longer period of time than just a year reflects the average annual interest rate that you're going to pay. So the interest rate that you'll pay per year over the whole term of the loan. And so the actual interest rate each year that you pay may vary. Some years it might be more, some years it might be less. But on average, you will pay that APRC rate. So the best example where this happens is on a mortgage. Because a lot of people, they arrange a mortgage where the first couple of years a fixed interest rate at a lower amount. So they may get an interest rate of, say, 2% for the first two years. But on average, the interest rate may be 3.8% over the whole 25-year mortgage. So the APRC will be 3.8% and then the remaining 23 years, if you have a 25 year mortgage, you'll pay more than the APRC because the first two years you paid less because the 3.8% is the average per year. And if you've paid less than the average per year in the first two years, then you have to pay more than the average per year in the remaining years. And unless you refinance your mortgage or rearrange your mortgage after the end of the fixed period, what normally happens is they put you on the variable rate for that bank after those two years are up. So suddenly you'll be paying 2% interest and then the next month, you'll suddenly be paying 4.5% for example. So you need to be really careful when you come into the end of that fixed period that you don't just get put on the variable rate because it can be more than double what you're already paying. You need to look and shop around at that point and see if you can remortgage for a better rate rather than going onto that variable rate. And on a mortgage, the APRC will also take into account charges like the arrangement fee that you might have to pay So some mortgages charge you like a thousand pounds or more just to get access to that mortgage. Well, that's all included in the APRC. So that way you can compare mortgages, say they're all different interest rates. Some have these arrangement fees, some don't, all that kind of stuff. You can actually compare them side by side and know on average what amount of interest or charges or what your total cost is going to be per year on each mortgage. So that way, if you've got four or five that you're comparing that all meet your needs, you can pick the one that has the lowest charge or the lowest APRC. So it's a really useful tool to help you compare different loans and stuff from different lenders. So overall, AER and APRC can be really useful and give you a clear idea of what you're getting and what you're paying. This makes comparing loans or saving accounts with similar features much easier and allows you to make a better financial decision, a much more informed choice. And that's what we want to be able to do as financial services customers, make the best choice for us not for the banks. APRC is also really useful because it can stop you getting involved in things like payday loans where the advertised rate may be like, I don't know, 10% or 20% or whatever, but actually that's just for a very short period of time, a few days, and it's not per year. The APRC will tell you how much you would actually have to pay over the whole year, and it could be thousands of percent. This is one of the reasons that the regulators brought it in to stop people getting involved with payday loans and things like that. So another real world example for us when it comes to interest rates, now that we know what they are and how they work, is that you can use your knowledge to help you make a decision on whether to pay down a debt first before saving and investing. Now really, this is a whole topic in its own right, and there's not always a clear answer to this, as it depends on your own circumstances. But in very simple terms, 
If you have a loan that is costing you 10% a year and a savings account paying you 5% a year, you'd be better off using the money in the savings account to pay down the loan because you're going to be saving yourself paying more interest each year on your loan than you would get by saving your money because your loan is costing you more than you're going to get by saving the money instead. So there's no point saving it and only getting 5% a year when you've got a loan that you're having to pay 10% a year because the interest that you earn by saving your money is going to be less than the interest that you owe on the money that you've borrowed. Now this also depends on how big your emergency fund is and we're going to be talking about emergency funds in a future series but assuming that you have an emergency fund already you don't need to worry about keeping money aside regardless of the interest rates. Now you can compare the interest rates between borrowings and savings you can work out what's better for you to save or to pay down your debt. So let's look at an example of how this might work in reality. Let's say you took out a £10,000 loan to pay for your wedding and the lender charges you 10% a year on that. So you're going to be paying £1,000 interest a year on your £10,000 loan, assuming you aren't paying any of the loan down. Now let's also assume that you have £5,000 in a savings account that your parents gave to you as a wedding present and that's paying you 5% a year in that savings account. So that's going to be earning you £250 a year in interest. So let's say that you use that £250 a year interest that you're earning on your savings to help pay off the interest that you owe on your loan. So if it's costing you £1,000 a year in interest and you're getting £250 a year in interest on your savings account, then you're still going to need to find another £750 a year from somewhere. And also because you're taking your money out of your savings account, you're not benefiting from compounding your savings account. Whereas if you can't find £750 a year to pay off the remaining interest, that loan interest is going to accrue even more interest. So that loan interest will be getting compounded. So you'll have the negative impact of compounding on the interest that you owe on your loan and you'll miss out on the compounding effect on your savings. Well, what if you take out that £5,000 that your parents gave you and you've put in your savings account and you use it to pay off half of your loan? So you'll now only owe £5,000 in your loan at 10% a year and you're going to be paying £500 interest a year. Now, yeah, you're not earning any interest in your savings to help you pay that interest rate off, but now, in total, you only owe £500 a year, whereas before, you owed £1,000 and you're using £250 to help pay that off from your savings, and so you'd still owe £750. So £750 compared to £500 a year of interest, you're actually £250 a year better off by using that money in your savings account to pay off some of your loan. So because you're £250 better off per year, you can actually use that spare cash that you were using to pay off your loan interest before to pay down your debt even further, meaning you'll pay less and less interest each year and pay off your debt quicker. It will be easier and be much cheaper for you in the long run. Now you may think this actually seems like an extreme example, but if anything, it's the opposite. Just think about how low interest rates are on savings accounts, usually a couple of percent at best, and then compare that to the high rates on store cards and some credit cards, often 35% or more per year. So the example is actually less extreme than real life scenarios. You may as well use your money in your savings account that's only earning a few percent per year in interest and use it to pay off your credit card debt that's accruing up to like 35% or more per year. You're much better off paying down expensive debt than earning a very small amount in low paying savings accounts. Like I said, that's if you've already got an emergency fund put aside. If you don't have an emergency fund put aside, then it becomes a balancing act. How much money do you put aside and how much money do you use to pay off your expensive debt? We're going to be talking about that in a future series, so don't worry about that just yet. 
but it is a really important topic and when we go over it it can really help you improve your financial health and your future wealth especially if you've got a lot of expensive debt now I put this example in the Excel workbook in the show notes so you can see how it works in reality and you can even change the numbers to suit your own circumstances as well so if you've got a savings account and you've got a loan you can put in the figures that relate to your interest rates and your amounts in each of them and then figure out how much it's costing you to not use your savings to pay off your loan and how much you would save if you did. As we're talking about real world situations when it comes to interest, there's one thing you need to be aware of when considering interest and it's that when you earn it, it counts as an income. And we all know what happens to income, it gets taxed. We're going to cover tax in more detail in the future, but I just want to go over it really quickly here. Don't worry if it doesn't mean anything to you at the moment, because it will do in the future. Now you can put your savings into types of accounts that mean you don't have to pay tax, like ISAs and pensions, which we're also going to cover in future episodes. But generally, tax on interest is charged at the same rates as you'll pay on your salary. And this can be at 0%, 20%, 40% or 45%, depending on how much you earn in total on both your salary and any other income as well, and also depending on your personal tax allowances. If you don't earn much money, you can actually benefit from what's called the starting rate for savings and pay 0% on your interest that you earn. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, which means that you'll pay 20% on your income and your salary over your personal allowance, you also get a nice little £1,000 personal savings allowance, which means that the first £1,000 of interest that you earn is tax-free. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, meaning you pay 40% on some of your salary, then your personal savings allowance is reduced down from £1,000 to £500, but you still get the first £500 of interest that you earn tax-free. Now, if you're an additional rate taxpayer, which means that you pay 45% tax on some of your income, then you don't get any personal savings allowance. And it means that all of your interest that you earn will get taxed at 45%. Now, you've got to be careful if you're near any of the boundaries of the different tax brackets, because interest can put you up into the next tax bracket and mean that you actually get a reduced personal savings allowance. So it's important to do the calculations properly, but don't worry, because like I said, we're going to be going through that in future episodes. Now, unfortunately, you can't take off interest that you pay on your debt from the interest that you earn on your investments to reduce your tax overall. So this can be another reason to repay your debt first, because you get taxed on the savings that aren't in a tax-free account that you're then using to repay more expensive debt. So that means that you have even less than the low interest rate that you earn to repay the more expensive interest on your debt. Now, if you do earn interest on your investments and it's held outside of a tax-free account, then you might have to pay HMRC some tax, and that might mean filling out a self-assessment form. So if this is you, then you need to look at potentially doing a self-assessment tax return each year. As I said earlier in the episode, all AERs are shown pre-tax, so before tax is taken into account. So if you are planning on holding interest-paying savings and investments outside of tax-efficient accounts, then you need to be aware of what the tax implications will be because it will reduce the amount of interest that you actually earn and this will be completely based on your own personal circumstances. Not only could you end up with a lower net rate of interest after tax, but if your job earnings put you close to a tax bracket limit, receiving interest, like I said, can put you into the next tax bracket. This means your tax on some of the interest could be higher. You could also lose or have your personal savings allowance reduced and you can even lose some state benefits as well. So you really do have to look at your whole financial situation when making decisions around investments and savings. So now you're an expert in interest, why don't you go away and before the next episode, try a few things. Do you have debt and savings? 
If so, why don't you work out how much you could save a year by paying off your debt with your savings? Like I said, I'm going to put that example that we spoke about in the Excel workbook in the show notes, so you can go away and put in your own figures to see what it would be for your own personal situation. Also, why don't you have a look at your personal tax status? How much personal savings allowance do you qualify for? Are you using it all up? If you do, how much tax are you paying on your interest? Is there any way of putting some of your savings into a tax-efficient account so that you're not paying any tax on it? Have a look at the AER of any of your savings accounts that you have and how does this compare to the AERs and other accounts that are out there with the same terms and conditions? How does it stack up? Should you think about switching? Right, well I think that's enough for now on interest. We've covered quite a lot over the last two episodes and I'm sure that you've probably got some questions. So feel free to get in touch with me via the contact page at pennyradio.co.uk or via email, which you'll also find there. While you're there, you'll also find the show notes for this episode and the last one as well, so you can go over all the examples in your own time and use it for your own personal circumstances as well. You'll also be able to find links to Penny Radio's Twitter and Facebook accounts there as well. So while you're there, why don't you give me a follow on either or both of them? And I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review for Penny Radio on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to it on. Any feedback will really help me to make this better for you. And so what's in store for the next episode? Well, we're actually going to be sticking with the technical stuff and we're going to be looking at something called inflation and how that can actually have a negative impact on this great discovery of interest you have just made. But anyway, enough of that for now. Thanks very much for listening and see you on the next episode of Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Penny Radio. Join me next time where we'll be continuing the journey to help you master your money.